I give you all a warm welcome to our service tonight. It's a service that includes the Lord's Supper, and all Christians are welcome to it. Uh, the congregation has uh, two new members, uh, both by disjunction certificate, and Kathleen Skinner and Kenny McKeever. After the service, there will be a congregational fellowship, and you're all very welcome to wait for that. Our speaker is Professor John Angus MacLeod, and we thank him for what he has done last night and this morning in preaching to us, and we look forward to his ministry tonight. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by singing from Psalms 68. Psalm 68, and we'll be singing verses 1 to 6. I think it's a Scottish Psalter. Let God arise and scatter, let all his enemies be, and let all those that do him hate before his presence flee. Down to verse 6 to God's praise.
families and from land the chain doth free but rebels do inhabit parched lands Let's draw near the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, it's wonderful to be part of your family. To know that you don't want us to be alone. You don't want us to be solitary. You bring us together and you name yourself as our Father. That, Lord, is truly amazing. And we rejoice in that for ourselves. As we are sure that the blind man in John 9 found a whole new experience for himself as part of your family on the day when he received his sight. We ask, Lord, that tonight as we gather together, that it would be with a sense of your fatherly love. We want, Lord, to bathe in that. We want, Lord, to experience it. And we know that you have gifted your Holy Spirit to us specifically so that he can witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are joint heirs with Christ. We know, Lord, that there is something so special in the indwelling of your spirit in your people. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would be expressed within our hearts tonight in adoring worship and gratefulness and praise. Lord, we pray that you would keep distractions away, Lord, and we ask that our focus would be on you. We know that there are so many things that crowd in upon us and take our minds off the things that matter. We ask, Lord, that in these few moments we may be able to do this in remembrance of you. Father, we would thank you for those who have joined the congregation here for the first time. And we thank you for the addition that they bring and the gifts that they bring and the love and the praise and the fellowship that they bring. And we know, Lord, that as you take one of your own home to glory, that all is well. Lord, we, we rejoice in knowing that However fragile we are and however long or short our pilgrimage is, all is well. Lord, we would pray that you would bless those who are longing for their loved ones to be brought to Christ. And we know surely that there are many such here. They have you as their saviour and they want their loved ones to be safe safe in Christ. Lord, only you can bring them to be so. Seed has been sown. Words have been spoken in witness and in instruction. Words have been spoken in prayer to you. Requests have been made over and over again. And we would ask, Lord, that you would be pleased
to open the door of their heart as you opened the door of Lydia's heart. That you would turn their life around as you did with Saul who became Paul. We ask, Lord, that you would do a work of such grace within them that they will find themselves not only coming to Zion in Christ, but telling others, come with us. Lord, we would pray that you would never allow us to be satisfied with small things. We long, Lord, to see the banqueting hall filled, filled to capacity with people like ourselves, sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. Lord, draw near to us now, we would pray. Keep our focus on you, for we ask it in Jesus. Amen. Let's read the word of God now from John's Gospel and chapter 10. John's Gospel and chapter 10 We'll read verses 1 to 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. (coughs) So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock. One shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Amen, and may the Lord bless to us that reading of his own holy, inspired word. In Isaiah chapter 9, you find that the king, whom we know to be the Lord Jesus, is a child who is born, a son who is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and this is his character, this is his ministry, this is his name. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Last night we explored, with respect to John chapter 9, some of that wonderful counsel, that amazing teaching that he brings. This morning we explored the might of God that he brings into the situation. Tonight we want to explore the everlasting Father aspect to his ministry. And then at the Lord's table the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. What a beautiful phrase that is. There are times when, like this morning, we must look at the greatness of the power of the King who is called Jesus. He is great. He is mighty. He is good. He's able to change lives. He's able to open eyes. He's able to grant faith. He's able to change hearts. He's able to bring people from death to life. The greatness of our King, our Lord Jesus, must never be underestimated. This is the child that has been given, the son that is born. This is our King, and he alone is the one who reigns over the universe and is able to transform the world and restore it to God the Father. Tonight we're not looking at the greatness of the king, but the sheer goodness of the king. He is the everlasting father, the everlasting father. In ancient Israel there were many kings. There were very poor kings. And if they were poor kings, they were also poor shepherds. If the people were in need, if the people were diseased, if the people were wrecked with pain and suffering, if the people were scattered and helpless, if the people were suffering, the kings didn't lift a finger to help because they were just using the people to build up their own power. Poor kings are always poor shepherds. And in John chapter 10, we are introduced to that same theme. Those who are false shepherds. Those who are there and don't care about the flock. Those who are hired hands in it for the money. They don't care if a sheep here or a sheep there is lost. These are poor shepherds, poor leaders, poor kings. They don't love their people. 
They don't know the flock. They don't love the flock. They will never suffer for the flock. And they will never lay down their lives for the flock. Jesus, by contrast, he's a good king. And he is a good shepherd. And don't you find it amazing in this chapter we read, John chapter 10, 1 to 18, how the pronoun I comes up unashamedly. I am the good shepherd. There he says it. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. He is not ashamed to speak of himself in relation to his people. In John 10, 14 and 15, we find this shepherd described, I am the good shepherd. What's that mean? I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That's four knowledge relationships. Four of them. Begin with the one in verse 15. The Father knows me. Who knows Jesus inside out? Who knows him well enough to place upon his shoulder the government of the whole universe? Who knows the King Jesus so well that he will entrust to him every person whom he wants to rescue and save from their sin? Who is it that knows the king so well that he will entrust the salvation of every one of you to him? It's the Father. And Jesus says, the Father knows me. The Father knows he can trust me. And that's why he commissioned me from all eternity to be the lamb who would be slain. The one who would lay down his life for the sheep. The Father knows me. I know the Father, he says. As the Father knows me, I know the Father. That means that Jesus is saying here, I know what the Father has promised and he will never change course. I will come into this world. I'll take on a human nature. I will become the son of Mary. I will irreversibly become man. And I will live the perfect human life despite all the difficulties. And I will plunge into the darkness of hell I'll experience all the torment that comes as a result of God's wrath for sin. I'll bear all of that because I know the Father will never say, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to fulfill that promise. Those people for whom you lay down their lives, I've given it up. New plan. Plan B, no, he says. I know the Father. That will never happen. The Father will never change his mind. I know him. And the Father knows me. 
And he also says, I know my own. See, Jesus was gifted a people to live for, to die for, to rise for, and to reign for. They are the same people. They have been gifted to him. Remember what he said in John chapter 17, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, that you may give eternal life to everyone that you have given to him. That's what I want to do. Place me in glory over the universe so that I may give eternal life to everyone you have given to me. And I know who they are. I know every single one of my sheep. None of them escapes my gaze. I know their names. I know their sins. I know where they have been. I know their hearts. None of the things within them is a surprise to me. I know my sheep. And he says, my sheep know me. See, that's, that's the most wonderful thing, you see. They, at the moment, don't all know him. But a day will come when every one of the people given by the Father to the Son will know Jesus. They will know him to the point of trusting in him. And that's a beautiful thing. Why are you here tonight? Why are you coming to the Lord's table tonight? It's because you know the Good Shepherd. And you see, John 10 follows on John 9. See, in John 9, you found this man whom... We explored this morning who was given physical sight, then spiritual sight. He was made new, born again, granted faith that grew in a day, so that he ended the day as a worshipper of God in Jesus. But what did the shepherds do? What did the Pharisees do? What did they do? They threw him out of the temple. In verse 34 of John 9, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out of the temple. They cast him out of the temple. See, in John 8:59, they were ready to do the same to Jesus. So they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself. And went out of the temple. He's outside the temple. That's where the shepherds, the leaders of the day, put Jesus. In their blindness, they put him outside of the temple. And now they've done the same to this man who had been blind and who is now worshipping the king, Jesus. They cast him out. That's what the false shepherds did. Why? Because they don't know the Father. The Father doesn't know or trust them. 
They don't know the sheep. And the sheep, like that man who was blind and now sees, that person did not listen to them. They kept badgering him. He's a sinner. Don't don't follow that Jesus. He's not from God. Don't trust that Jesus. Trust Moses, not Jesus. And every time the man who's just a newbie, a new baby in Christ, he's amazingly faithful. It's as if he's known Christ all his life. Listen to what he says. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's willing to argue with the leaders. Willing to argue with the shepherds. And of course, they dismissed him. Born in utter sin. You're going to teach us? He was teaching them. He was bringing wonderful counsel. And they did not want to hear. They cast him out. What happened next? Well, this is where you find Jesus as the everlasting Father. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? You might say to yourself, isn't that strange? At the beginning of the day, he put clay on a man's eyes, told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he would see. Then that man saw. And pretty much for the whole of the day, he never saw a friend. He saw enemy after enemy, critic after critic. He didn't find somebody who loved him. All day long, it might seem to you as if this person is uncared for, even, even by Jesus the King who gave him his sight. And there may be times when you feel exactly the same. You may feel as if there are long, prolonged times in your life when you're feeling the pain, the loneliness, the exile, the misery, when you feel nobody understands you and you're out on a limb. It may be your own family and they're in a different world from you because maybe they're not trusting in Christ. You long for them to do so, but they're not doing it and they can't comfort you. You're out there alone and you think even Jesus doesn't care. You know, Jesus does care. Jesus 
does care. You might think that things are going terribly wrong. And Satan puts the doubt in your heart to say, where is your God in the midst of all this? He's supposed to love you. But every phone call brings a new phase of suffering and pain. Every day you long for good news, but there's more bad news. One diagnosis after the other. Things seem to be getting worse. Where is the God who loves me? Where is the God who loves me in Christ? And the answer is this. He is there. He is there. He's there in a way that you cannot see. I said last night and this morning, Jesus passed by. And as he passed by, he saw the man born blind. And I said that he was not able to pass many people by in his life on earth. He was a physical human being. He could only be with so many people at a time. But remember, he is not just man. He is God. And in a way that I cannot understand, The Jesus who looked at the man sitting at the road edge, blind, is able to see that man wherever he is in the world. He doesn't become the divine saviour once he ascends to heaven. He is the divine saviour here on earth. Humanly speaking, he has limits. He cannot be with these people physically. Spiritually, he is God and he can be with his people. Who do you think helped that man that day be so strong? Why was he not flattened under the barrage of criticism? When these bombs kept falling, why was he not crushed? Why is it that with every onslaught, he gets stronger? With every attack, it's as if he blossoms. And the answer is, That the Lord, the King, Jesus, is the everlasting Father who cares for him even when he cannot see him. Even when he cannot see him. And that could be your experience tonight. It must be your experience on a daily basis as you walk by faith. And not by sight. But what happens? A point comes when Jesus heard that they had cast him out 
and he found him. This sounds awfully like a good shepherd. He goes looking for the sheep that had been cast out. He goes to find him. Somebody actually told him that he had been cast out. And Jesus, once he is told by a human companion, he went to find that sheep. He physically had to go and look for him. And he knew where to find him. He knew precisely where he was. He he heard that they had cast him out and then he found him. Found him. And that's, that's what the king, the everlasting father, does for his people over and over again. There will be times, and you know it yourselves, when it's through no fault of your own that you feel lonely. Through no fault of your own that you're suffering and things are coming your way and the way of your family. And Jesus finds you, finds you in that situation because he's looking for you and he finds you. He knows where you are and he draws near to you and he speaks to you. And he brings you, as he did with the blind man, he brings you to worship in that situation. He had no sooner found the man than he brought him to worship him. So the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. But there are other times when it's our fault that we are at a distance from Jesus. There are times when it's our sin and our attraction to sin that has led us astray. And sin always has this tendency within us to bring loneliness, exile, separation. You cannot happily sin And make sin the default of your life. And at the same time expect to be and to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And yet, this is the most beautiful thing about this king. He actually is an everlasting father to those who are sinners, failures, not the perfect, not the righteous. No, he says, he has come to save sinners, not the righteous. Is is that not you? You're not righteous, you are the sinner. And he has come to save people like you. He wasn't repulsed by the man's blindness. He wasn't even repulsed by the man's spiritual blindness. He wasn't repelled by the man's sinfulness. Jesus knew everything about this man. And yet he took him as one of the sheep. And he became king as everlasting father over this Man. 
And a beautiful thing. Just think of it. He helps the man before the man asked for help. That's quite something. He genuinely wanted the man to see physically. He didn't just want to heal the man's blindness so that he could have an illustration to use in a sermon. No, he wanted the man to be able to see. He wanted him to have a quality of life because he genuinely cared as the everlasting father for him. And he wanted the man to be spiritually alive. And that's why he asked him to go and be healed in the way that he was. See, there is something beautiful about God in Christ. There's a grace in him that startles even believers. When you came to Christ first, I'm sure you never felt as if you deserved salvation. I guarantee you, having now been in Christ for many years perhaps, many decades, you feel more unworthy than ever to have been saved. You've been startled by your own sin. You've been startled and shocked by your own unfaithfulness. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Not the everlasting Father. He is the one that comes with open arms to sinners like us. Think for a moment of the woman of Samaria. Did she ask Jesus for help? No. Jesus struck up a conversation with her. He's a human being, Jesus. He was striking up a conversation with a fellow human being. But there was much more than that. This is the divine God. He knew about this woman. He knew she had been married five times. He didn't need anyone to tell her. Tell him. He knew that the person she was living with was not her husband. But look at the way he is with her. Is he repelled? Is he repulsed? Does he say, don't you come near me? I am the righteous saviour. I I can't possibly have contact with the likes of you. You're coming here at a time of day when nobody else will be here. Don't don't come near me. Jesus knows all about this woman. And you know what? He's not harsh. In the slightest. He's forthright. He says you're right. You don't have a husband. Yes I know you have had five husbands. The one you're living with is not your husband. I know all that. But he's there talking to her. He's like a father. A king. Who loves. Who cares. Who has compassion The world would say, five times married, living with somebody else, this person is a hopeless case, thrust them out. Jesus says, for you 
I'm here. That's the kind of king I am. That's the kind of shepherd I am. I come for people like you, woman of Samaria. I want you to drink of the living water. And he could go away from that woman, knowing that the woman is saying, come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. And you think, I hate that man. She doesn't. She doesn't hate him. Nobody's ever said it so openly to her, perhaps. He told me everything I ever did. And she seems to love him. It's as if she knows him. There's a relationship already. He knows her. She knows him. The good shepherd knows the sheep. And this sheep knows and seems to trust him. Come, she says to others. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Just just come. Clearly she's not ashamed of him. And he, he, and listen to this for yourselves. He is not ashamed of her. Oh, sinner man, he is not ashamed of her. He has come for sinners. His heart is wide open for sinners. He will bring wonderful counsel to them, teaching. He will bring the power of God to change them. And then he will have compassion and care and love for them. No harshness. No harshness. His heart throbs for you. And boy, don't you feel as if you don't deserve it. His heart throbs for you tonight on the throne of the universe. It's individual. It's laser precise. It's there for you. He loves you. He is a fatherly king over you. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. But it's more than that. We're not just told that he's father as king. The kings of Israel were not good fathers. They weren't paternal. This king is a father on behalf of the father. But there's more than that. He is the everlasting father. At no point will his fatherly role come to an end. Put it this way. Did Jesus love you by coming into the world? 
Answer, yes. Did Jesus love you by living the perfect life so that he could gift you that perfect life of righteousness? Yes. Did Jesus love you by laying down his life for you and your sins, taking his, your sins upon him? Did he love you at Calvary? Yes. Did he love you on the morning when he rose out of the grave? Yes. That's why he rose out of the grave. He did it for the sheep. He ascends to heaven because he loves you. He reigns over the universe with a heart throbbing with love for individual sheep. It's love that is on the throne of the universe. God sets a solitary in families. He binds them together under Jesus. And Jesus knows them all individually. And he cares for them throughout the whole of their life here on earth. He'll care for them through every diagnosis of pain. He will love them through the valley of the shadow of death. Every inch of that valley, he will be there. He is the everlasting Father. And then he will love you in heaven And think of how many of our loved ones are loved in heaven. When I was young, I hardly knew anyone in heaven. Now heaven is populated. And is populated by people. And every one of them knows Jesus. And every one of them trusts Jesus. And every one of them is loved by Jesus in the name of God. And you know what happens on the day of the resurrection when all the graves will open of all the Lord's people and their bodies will meet with their souls in perfect holiness. Why will that happen? Because he loves you. Just like he healed the man who was born blind, he will actually re-restore the universe. And he will love forever. He will be an everlasting father. How far can you see in time? How far can you see into eternity? A day will never come when Jesus will go to the Father and say, that's it. I've done enough. 
I now will revert to being God the Son again. No human nature. Never, never will that happen. He will be God and man, two distinct natures, and one person for how long? Forever. He will never stop being your king, your saviour. You need God, and you need this God-man. No one else could be your wonderful counsellor, mighty God, and everlasting Father. He will never, ever fail you. When the fox comes, and they will come, he'll be there. He'll be there. With these thoughts in mind, let's sing from Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verses 24 to 29. Psalm 89, from verse 24. My mercy and my faithfulness with him yet still shall be, and in my name his horn and power men shall exalted see. We're singing here of the reign of our King Jesus. Psalm 89 from verse 24. My mercy and my faithfulness with him yet still shall be until my name Yeah. 
Just a few words before we come formally to the table. The fencing. He's the wonderful counsellor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And he is a prince of peace. He's not interested in just giving you knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He's not even interested in seeing you as a wonderful expression of his power. He's not even interested in just caring and loving you. What he wants is peace for you. That's what the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God and the everlasting Father wants. He wants peace for all his people. He wants them to trust him and know that all is well. You know a Hebrew word, shalom. That word talks about something being complete, whole. And there's something about the Christian, even with our sins, we know that the king has dealt with them Lay down his life for them, and they are forgiven. What right do you have to have peace with God? Jesus Christ is the one who has made that possible. He rules to bring peace to you. There's a Greek word that you probably don't know. And it's the word irene, where you get the, Greek, the English word ironical. Irene is a Greek word for peace. And it comes from a verb, iro, which is to join, to join. Nothing is missing. No link is broken. There's a perfect connection between you and God. And it will never, ever be broken. He is the Prince of Peace. He has done everything with his counsel, with his might, with his love, to ensure that you will have peace. Peace forever. Now I know that the peace you're experiencing at the moment may seem rather fragile in the midst of so many trials. But stand back for a moment and say, but the peace is there. I'm not shattered. I'm not broken. I'm not in despair. I'm not in darkness. 
I am kept by the power of God through faith. And that faith is his gift. Nothing is broken. No link is missing. It's a beautiful thing to be at peace under the Prince of Peace. So who should be at the Lord's table? It's those who know that they're at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not how well you've dealt with your sins, not even how well you've dealt with your sanctification. If that were the case, there'd be nobody taking that bread and wine. Not tonight. But this is for the woman of Samaria. The woman with five husbands. The woman whose life was a moral mess. This table is for Saul who persecuted, perhaps murdered Christians. This table is for the likes of us. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you ever listen to Satan who tells you it's not real. It's real. So you come to this Lord's table. That's where you belong formally. We'll sing Psalm 116. Psalm 116 from Sing Psalms, verses 1 to 9. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He listened when I cried to him for aid. Verses 1 to 9 to God's praise. And if there's anybody who's not yet at the table, please take your seat there. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He listened when I cried to him for it. I'll call on him as long as I shall live. Because he turned to hear me when I prayed. The cords of death gripped and entangled me. Upon me came the anguish of the grave. With grief and trouble I was overcome. Then on the name of God I called Lord Save. The Lord our God is kind full of grace, both righteous and compassionate is he. The Lord protects all those of childlike faith. When I was in great need, he rescued me. Rest, O my soul, God has been good to you. For 
my soul from death, my feet from stumbling, eyes from tears, that I may live for you while I have breath. The Lord's Supper, of course, is not the invention of man. It's what was instituted by the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace for our good. This is what we read in 1 Corinthians 11. What Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, the King, the Lord Jesus, gave thanks. Let's do the same. Lord, giving thanks to you for this is not difficult. You have given us yourself. You have given us yourself for all eternity. The clock will never be turned back on your incarnation. You will never, ever again be anything but God and man, two distinct natures and one person forever, because you are the only Redeemer of the Lord's elect. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you, Father, giving your son we thank you for all that you commissioned him to be this wonderful king this good good shepherd this wonderful prince of peace we ask lord that you would make us mindful that there was a price to be paid for all that you are doing for us in salvation Praise comes from our lips, but a plea came from his lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, we cannot, nor should we plumb the depths, and yet you gave us a hint in that psalm what it was like for a holy Person to go through hell without sinning, to bear the full weight of your wrath without anything in his heart but love for you and his people. But you are holy, he said. We thank you for giving us such a saviour and for giving us this bread and wine to remember him. 
Thank you in the name of Jesus. Just a word before we take the supper itself. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. See, the Prince of Peace has been sent by the God of peace. That's precious. This is a trinity work. They're all in it together. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And he wants peace. Satan troubles you. Satan troubles you tonight. Satan will cause you trouble till the end of your days. He'll tempt you. He'll seduce you. He'll try to draw you away. He'll attack you. He'll use everyone and anyone to do it. But the God of peace will one day have him under your feet. And the Prince of Peace will ensure that is the case. So bear that in mind, those of you who feel the pressure.
and you come into my blood, do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Some wonderful words in John chapter 14 as we come to the end of our service. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, that the help of the Holy Spirit and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he goes on to say about the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We are the God of peace who sends the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace along with the Father, send the Spirit of peace. <clears throat> Jesus is a wonderful counsellor, the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. But he can't do it 
without the help of the most willing of all God's servants, the Holy Spirit. He is the most willing of servants. Jesus will find nobody more willing than the Holy Spirit. He can pronounce peace in the midst of trouble. Because he knows that the Holy Spirit is there to communicate that peace in the most wonderful way possible. As you leave this place, the Holy Spirit who indwells you brings the peace of God to you. The reign of Christ takes place under his Lordship. Let's now rise and sing our final psalm, Psalm 72, verses 17 to 19. Psalm 72, verses 17 to 19, in the Scottish Psalter. His name forever shall endure, last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him, blessed all nations shall him call. His name forever shall endure, last like the sun it fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.